Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The finals are upon us. Tatum, Curry, Brown, Thompson, Smart, Wiggins, Horford, Poole, Celtics, Warriors. You can bet on all of the NBA Finals action with betonline.ag, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up using the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is Tuesday, June 14th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever you may be listening, we are live from beautiful San Francisco, California. We were boots on the ground at the Chase Center in San Francisco for Game 5 of the NBA Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. Now, did we ever set foot inside of the Chase Center for Game 5 of the NBA Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors? No, we did not. Did we set foot on the premises of the Chase Center? Yes, we did. We hung out for all the pregame festivities over there in Golden State. Uh, But for people who don't know, I live in Sacramento. Sacramento is about an hour and a half drive over to San Francisco. Spending the night in San Francisco after getting to hang around Game 5 and actually spending Game 5 at the San Francisco Giants baseball game against the last place Kansas City Royals. Yay! 6-2 Giants beat the Royals. It was very fun. No home runs in the game, but we did have a fantastic performance from all of the San Francisco Giants that uh, feels like weren't on the team last year when they won 103 or 105 games. But the, the point being, we were boots on the ground. We were covering this NBA Finals game between the Boston Celtics and the Warriors live in Golden State. We are recording this right now from a tiny motel 15 minutes away from the Chase Center. In fact, according to Google Maps, we are 1.3 miles away from the Chase Center where the Golden State Warriors defeated the Boston Celtics to come within one game of the NBA Finals. It was 104 to 94, and it wasn't actually that close. So let's just talk about the game, and that'll be the podcast here today. And uh, let's just dive into it, I guess, because <laughs> we've done all the teasing at the beginning of the podcast and all that fun stuff. 
Boston Celtic, first of all, Jalen Brown, thank you for continuing to prove my point. 18 points, 9 rebounds. He took 18 shots. For people who don't know, there are things that we've consistently said all series. The Warriors have figured out a system where if they shoot 40% from three-point range, they will score 110 points. In all five of the games this series, well, in the first four games of the series, the Warriors shot between 35 and and 45%, except the one game they shot close to 50%, but 40, 35 and 48% from the three-point line in all of the games so far, and they have scored between 100 and 110 points in all four of the games going into game five of the series. Also, Jalen Brown is the ultimate number two option. I know people were talking about Jalen Brown for finals MVP, but simply as an indictment of Jason Tatum's performances... Jalen Brown is the ultimate number two, which is, I mean, not a number two in the in the pun sense there. Jalen Brown will give you 20 points on 18 shots and shoot 33% from the three-point line. And Jalen Brown in game five, 18 points, 18 shots attempted from the field, 0 for 5 from the three-point line for the Boston Celtics. Jalen Brown exists in that Frank Gore purgatory, where I used to make the joke about Frank Gore. If you need two yards, he'll give you four yards. If you need six yards, he'll give you four yards. Jalen Brown will give you 20 points on 18 shots every single game. That is Jalen Brown's specialty in this NBA Finals and for most of the playoffs. It is 20 points on 18 shots. Volume scorer, he did it again. I find that incredibly, incredibly funny. The thing that broke off as we talk about Golden State, because Golden State did win this game, was Golden State broke the equation of... If we shoot 40% from three, we will score 110 points. The Golden State Warriors shot 23% from the three-point line. This was their worst three-point shooting performance by far, by far thus far in the postseason. So Golden State has this terrible three-point shooting game. Steph Curry 0 for 9 from three. Andrew Wiggins 0 for 6 from three. Draymond Green 0 for 2, Otto Porter 0 for 2. There was a stretch in the second half when um you know the Warriors are or the third quarter Warriors has been a joke for this entire series because the Warriors are like plus 45 in the third quarter of the first four games. During the third quarter and into the fourth, the Warriors missed 14 consecutive three-pointers. That's really freaking hard to do. I laughed at the fact that uh, Milwaukee in that game seven against Boston this year shot like four for 30. And Utah against Dallas this year shot three for 30 in a, I think it was like game four, game five against Dallas. I'm like, how could you possibly be that bad? I've never seen anything that bad. The Warriors went 0 for 14 from the three point line. Steph Curry went 0 for 9. Wiggins went 0 for 6. That's 15 straight missed three-pointers. That would normally be an insurmountable situation for them to overcome. So how did Golden State overcome the system breaking down? Because again, if they shoot, the thing we've been saying, they've created a machine of offense. If they shoot 40%, they will score 110 points. So how did they overcome that in this game? Because it was a wacky combination for the way they got there. The free throw shooting has been the exact same the entire series. They were 13 for 15 in game three. They were, I believe, 12 for 15 or 13 for 15 in game four. And they're 13 for 15 at the free throw line in game five. 
So free throws consistently right there hitting most of them. Boston, by the way, got to the free throw line 31 times against Golden State. Kevon Looney got in foul trouble early, and and the Warriors made the move a little bit uh, earlier in the series that they weren't going to play Looney and Draymond at the same time. But Looney getting in foul trouble early changed the math there because you take him out. Now Gary Payton's playing 26 minutes all of a sudden in this game. And fortunately for them, they didn't have to bench Draymond at the end of the game. But what was really fascinating about that point for Golden State is all of a sudden they are getting points at the rim. That was the strategy that changed for Golden State is get points at the rim early and often, whether it's Gary Payton having, I think it was like five layups for Gary Payton in this game. It was something like something close to like five layups on back doors. Clay Thompson getting assist numbers. Like, I mean, he didn't have a lot, but Clay Thompson and Steph Curry getting assist numbers. Draymond Green had six assists, including that amazing pass down low. Like he feeds one right past Marcus Smart to Gary Payton mid stride for a layup that I'm sure will be on the sports center highlight packages. It was get the ball to the rim, which is interesting because that's Boston's strong suit on defense, right? It's Robert Williams denies anything and everything that comes in close to the rim. Al Horford and him become twin towers. Grant Williams is able to guard people in the in the perimeter and are able to guard people inside and when they kick out can still contest shots because of how long uh, Grant Williams is. All of that is true and yet it didn't end up making... A dramatic difference in this game because the Warriors were able to slide back door and slide inside and Curry was hitting a couple floaters in there I know he obviously had a, a terrible shooting game for Golden State and Boston made the effort it's not going to be Steph it's not going to be Steph and in actuality they've made that effort at, at times in the series and it hasn't mattered where Steph is still able to to make buckets and I mean Steph was over 50% inside it's just the three-point shot wasn't falling for Steph and it ended up not mattering in the grand scheme of things so I thought that was interesting that they said get to the rim get to the rim get there early and often and we're gonna even though we're shooting 23% from three-point range we're gonna take 48 shots at the 48 two-point shot attempts and we're gonna hit 32 of them So that's 32 out of 48. We're going to shoot 66% on two-point shots. It's going to be Curry floaters. It's going to be Gary Payton at the rim. It's going to be Draymond dunking early in the game. I mean, Draymond had most of his points early in the game, but Draymond assists and all that stuff. And I thought that was a really interesting strategy because Boston pulled their defense out to deny the shooting, and the Warriors took advantage of that by getting uh, inside on Marcus Smart and uh, Gary Payton backdoored buckets and Draymond Green getting dunks. And they just changed up the way their offense looked. And I thought that was super duper smart. The other flip side of this now is Andrew Wiggins. Every single time he took a two-point shot, it felt like it was going in. Every single floater felt like it was going in. Every single rebound felt like it was getting tipped in. Andrew Wiggins was so good and I know we laughed after game four at the idea of Andrew Wiggins being the second best player on a championship team Andrew Wiggins kind of the second best player on a championship team he's averaging close to 10 rebounds a game he's averaging a double double for the series and he's averaging close to 20 points in this series I think he might be averaging more than 20 points Andrew Wiggins has been so consistent 
for Golden State. And Clay Thompson, by the way, Clay Thompson was awesome in game five. And Jordan Poole was awesome in game five. Jordan Poole, that bank, I mean, we'll get to the bank. No, let's just do the bank shot buzzer beater. That Jordan Poole bank shot buzzer beater to put him up one after the Celtics were down 11 at the end of the first half. The Warriors held a lead for the first time since game two at halftime. And Golden State, in in two minutes, entire lead wiped out. It's Jalen Brown free throw, free throw. Uh, Jalen Brown third free throw. Jalen Brown fourth free throw. Tatum three-pointer, missed basket, Golden State. Tatum three-pointer, boom, your entire lead has evaporated. You had a 12-point lead at halftime. It's gone in two minutes. Two minutes of the third quarter. And you're supposed to be third-quarter Warriors. Two minutes in, boom, the Celtics have erased your entire lead. The entire lead you had in the first half, gone. Boston shot 0 for 12 to start the game from the three-point line. Lead evaporated. And Golden State came back with the pool bucket at the end of the quarter and then went on an 8-0 run right out the gate or a 7-0 run right out the gate. I thought that was a huge thing. And I'm the guy who says, like, the team that hits a buzzer beater in overtime is still 50% likely to come out swinging in the next half. It felt like a weird momentum shift, and I'm someone who doesn't necessarily believe in momentum shifts dictating outcomes of games. It's only the case if the, the players playing the game actually feel that to be the case, and it's a mental blockade and all that kind of stuff, and I thought it was interesting that that pool shot led to the Warriors never looking back after that fact. That Ending that quarter where they played so... But they didn't make a three-point shot right before that Jordan Poole three-pointer. They went 14 straight misses, and it was Clay Thompson hitting a three, and it was Jordan Poole hitting a three at the buzzer. And it's like, okay, we withstood that. Steph's not playing well. We're still in the lead. We got this. And it was a weird, irrational confidence that I'm used to seeing from Boston in games one and games three of the series, and a little bit in game four, where like in my mind I was expecting Boston to pull away. And then we talked about the 17-3 run at the end of game four. It felt like Boston was going to pull away. It felt like Boston was right there. And this time it felt like the Warriors were ready to withstand it. And it was an interesting flip-flop. It shows how evenly matched these teams are, but it was an interesting flip-flop that Golden State had after the pool shot. But anyways, before we were talking about that, Poole and Clay Thompson picked up huge three-point numbers. I mean, between the two of them, they were 8 for 17 from three-point range, which is 46%, roughly, 46% from three. And that's the 40% you score 110 points that we're talking about with Golden State. It's just Curry and Wiggins and Otto Porter and Draymond combined did not make a single three-pointer. So all of your math changes there, and they were atrocious from three-point. I mean, the, the four of those guys who are all starters, 0 for 19 from the three-point line. Well, it's combated by the fact that Boston also started the game 0 for 12 from the three-point line. And in fairness to Boston, they finished the game 11 for 20 from three. And in that third quarter, oh man, it was... It was crazy how good Boston was to start that third quarter. They were like five for five from three. Tatum was draining shots because Tatum went the first quarter. I know in hindsight, it's like a distant memory now, but like when they went down in the first quarter and they only scored, I think it was like, like, I mean, it was six points in the first eight minutes of the game, but they finished with like 16 in the first quarter. 
Jason Tatum did not take a shot until two minutes into the first quarter, and Boston was already down 14 at that point, which is a testament to how much of their offense runs through Jason Tatum, but just when the shooting's not there, you just need guy who can get you a bucket. And that's what Tatum was tonight. It was when we're bleeding and we can't get shots from anyone, Tatum can get you a bucket. When Jalen Brown can't get a can't buy a bucket, Tatum's going to get inside and get two. Tatum's going to get a layup. Tatum's going to hit a three-pointer over Andrew Wiggins, even though he didn't do a lot of those tonight. He's going to hit a three-pointer. and He went five for nine, but you know Wiggins still played him really well defensively. And when all of the shooting is going to fall short, we can just bank on we can get a bucket from Jason Tatum here and there. And again, after the 0 for 12 start, they ended up finishing the game, uh, I guess it was right around the start of the second or mid-second quarter, when they started hitting it. I think they hit eight three-pointers in a row. I think after the 0 for 12 start, because they went, um, Tatum hit the three right before half, or not Tatum hit the three. Tatum, the team hit the three. They were three for 15 at halftime. Then they hit their first five out of half. So Boston started 0 for 12 from three, and then they hit eight consecutive three-pointers. So after that, that would be 8 for 20, and then the rest of the way they were 3 for 12. So if you take out that stretch where they hit 8 consecutive 3-pointers, which, again, it's a big stretch. I'm not saying it's not impactful on the outcome of the game. Like, outside of, they go 12 straight misses, 8 straight makes, 3 for 12 to finish the game. And it's interesting because remember back in game three when I picked Boston to win game four, which I was going to be wrong at some one way or another. I was either going to be wrong about the Warriors winning in six and a half, which is looking pretty damn good, or I was going to be wrong in saying the Celtics were going to win game four unless the Celtics blew a 3-1 lead. But it felt like the Celtics were favored in game four, and that would be a gambling pick, whatever you want to call it. Reverse jinx is what I called it with Morgan being playful because Morgan really believes all of the the jinxes and curses and hijinks and such. And what was interesting is that we said Warriors have created a machine offensively. Boston can play great defense, but the machine is still effective in every game against the defense. Draymond is volatile, yet the Warriors' defense is still able to defend well because Wiggins is guarding Tatum the way Drew Holiday guarded Chris Paul in the finals last year. And this game, they kind of switched up. Draymond was on Tatum sometimes. They switched Clay on to Tatum sometimes. But overwhelmingly, Wiggins is guarding Tatum in that respect. This means that the Celtics' offense, the ball was in their court. And they played well enough to be tied with the, or up four against the Warriors with five minutes left in game four. And since that point, Boston has gone the 0 for 6 three-point stretch at the end of game four. 0 for 12 to start game five. Hit eight straight three-pointers to counter third quarter Golden State. And then finish three for 12 from the three-point line. I know three-pointers aren't everything in determining outcomes of games. Boston's just decided to play an offense in which they are going to outshoot Golden State, which is an effective strategy because Boston's lined up with shooters. You've got Al Horford here. You've got Grant Williams in the corner here. You've got uh, Marcus Smart, who's who's at least taking shots. And in this game, he hit 50% of them. Jalen Brown is at least a 34% three-point shooter. And Jason Tatum benefits from having all kinds of open threes. And Derek White has had games where he hits five three-pointers like he did in game one. Like, 
there is a benefit to that strategy that they're playing. It's a ride-or-die offense, especially as Golden State denies stuff inside with Looney, and now they've swapped Otto Porter in to try and guard the perimeter matchup-wise. And maybe Boston would benefit from running an offense that's predicated on getting two-pointers. I think what they're betting on is they're going to need to make baskets to contend with the Warriors offensively. And that's kind of been an effective, uh, you know, a, a tried and true strategy thus far in the series. I don't know how Boston only scored <laughs> Boston only scored 94 points in this game. It felt like Boston should have scored so many more points and they should have dominated Golden State in that respect, but they only shot 34% from 3 and comparatively to Golden State at 23%, that's better. And they took less three-pointers, which is kind of part of the problem, but it also kind of is part of the solution. So we can point to that there. If the ball was in Boston's court, the Boston offense's court, which I still believe was very much the case, and the analysis was true in that respect because Golden State's offense has scored between 100 and 110 points in all five games of the series, and before tonight they had shot between 30, uh, 35 and 48% from three in every single game. And when their three-pointing was awful tonight, they shot 67% from two, which is one of the great two-point finals performances, shooting games of all time. Wiggins hitting every floater, Curry hitting every floater, Gary Payton having five layups, Draymond having dunks. Got the ball inside, stopped trying to kill it with the three-pointer and just took advantage of, we're going to take 18 more shots than the Boston Celtics are going to take, and that's how we're going to find a competitive advantage. Ball in Boston's off Boston's offensive Boston offense's court. Rough end to game four. Rough start to game five. Really strong stretch in the middle to keep the game close. 25% shooting from three to end the game. Only scored 94 points. And they finished game four with only 97 points, despite the fact they had 94 with five minutes left to go. Doubled down by the fact they had 18 turnovers in Game 5 compared to 6 by the Golden State Warriors, which in fairness is a really, really good game for Golden State. It's just in Game 4 it was 16 Boston turnovers, 15 Golden State turnovers. Golden State didn't turn the ball over. Boston turned the ball over at an abnormally large rate. And that changed the math of this series because since Boston got 94 points in well, in three and a half quarters against Golden State in game four, and I felt like they were getting ready to pull away, Boston's offense dissipates, hasn't broken the 100 marker, finished with three points in the final five and a half minutes of game four while the Warriors go on a 17-3 run. Start out this game 22-8 run. Turn it around almost immediately. Jason Tatum has a, his best game of the finals, and it's not enough because they can't generate enough shooting and because they can't generate enough shots inside because they're being contested by Draymond and Wiggins is sticking to Jason Tatum and forcing up bad shots. And Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown has been put in a box, and it's it's very very efficient. I'm not very efficient. It's very consistent. It's important that your second best player scores at least 20 points a game. It's just not going to be good enough to beat the best teams in the NBA if your second best player is giving you 20 points on 18 shots every single game. Unless you have a supernova type performance from your star 
or you have five players that all score over 15 points, which is really rare in both respects. Having a supernova star that can get you a bucket every single time down the floor and ha- or having five different players that can give you 15 points, kind of like what the Golden State Warriors did tonight. It wasn't exactly that, but it's 26 from Wiggins, 21 from Clay, 16 from Steph, and Steph shooting 0 for 9 from 3 and still shooting over 50% from two-point range while also getting to the line a couple times. Gary Payton, 15 points. Jordan Poole, 14 points. Five different players scoring 15 points. Jordan Poole had 14. But basically, 15 points from five different players. Team ball, the thing that helped the Miami Heat get to the finals in 2020 over Boston is again, and the thing that helped Boston get to the finals this year over uh, um, the Miami Heat and over the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, not exactly in Game 7, but earlier on in the series, it was that style of offense that helped Boston was, we can get enough offensively where sometimes we can get five different players that score 15 more likely than we are to have supernova Jason Tatum games. And again, Jason Tatum had 27 and 20 while shooting 50% from 2 and 55% from 3. And it was his best game of the series it still didn't break 100 points because the shooting let him down around him. And that's really interesting because we said the ball was in the Celtics' offense's court for after Game 3 of the series because the Warriors' offense was consistent. Celtics' defense could only do so much. Warriors' defense, volatile, gave an opportunity for the Boston Celtics' offense to either capitalize or fall short or something in the middle which this game you take the goods with the bads it was probably something in the middle and Boston finished with 94 points a lot of it in garbage time in the last minute of the game the Celtics lost by 15 and now they face elimination against a team that I think they're more talented than it's going to be really really interesting to see how they play that game five or sorry that game six and what their offensive game plan looks like against Golden State, because I still think the ball is in their court offensively. Now, maybe this this game was more about the Celtics' defense and their inability to stop Wiggins' floaters and stop Steph floaters and Gary Payton getting inside, even when they put so much attention on Steph in the three-point shooting, and they let the inside open up because the Warriors are a machine offensively. Even if that's the case, I thought it was interesting that that was the game plan that they went with defensively, and maybe that becomes more of the story. Maybe we adjust our expectations. I still say ball is in Boston offense's court. Series not over at all. Boston's still more talented team. They're favored in game six. Ball is in Boston's offense's court. And a lot of it's going to come down to shooting. It doesn't have to be as good as game one where they shot 51% from three and like we're seven for eight in the start of the fourth quarter against Golden State and just put it out of reach. It does have to look more consistent than 0 for 6 from 3 to end game 4, 0 for 12, then 8 straight, then 3 for 12 in a pivotal part of the game that allows the Warriors to go on a 10-0 run to end the third and start the fourth quarter, and then you're down 9 points, and then you're turning the ball over 18 times, and the turnover differential is 12, and there's just no way to overcome that. And again, the same analysis I've said before. Yes, if Boston doesn't turn the ball over, their offense is unguardable. 
That's the case with almost every team in the NBA, and it's really hard to not turn the ball over against a really good Golden State defense. Just as it's really hard for boss or for Golden State to only turn the ball over six times in a game where they shot between Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Otto Porter, and Draymond Green, 0 for 19 from the three-point line. To only have six turnovers is a remarkable feat by Golden State's offense. It's just going to be interesting to see how Boston comes back from that with, with their defensive performance. And Game 5 might be more about their defense than their offense, although their offense follows the same pattern. Ball is in their court, and it's been... Not necessarily disappointing. That's too simple to throw out there. It's just been not good enough to win the NBA Finals. It's good enough to beat most teams in the NBA if you make eight consecutive three-pointers for a stretch and then shoot 25% to end the game. All that adds up together. They're going to shoot like 50-something percent from three. Oh, yeah, you shoot over 12. You can still survive as long as you get points in the middle. You can survive. It's also why I thought Boston was a second-round exit earlier in the season. It's very difficult once you get to the place where the other team also has a really strong defense and offensive players that will score 100 points in every single game. Credit to Golden State's defense and Boston just missing shots. Someone's going to have to go for 30 or everyone's going to have to go for 15 in game six. I think that's the strategy of how are we going to find 110 points it might, it might be Jalen Brown, it might be Jason Tatum. Someone's got to go for 30, or five of those guys got to go for 15. That's the only way they're going to be able to make up the points to counter the Golden State machine offense. That We now see, like even when they only shoot 23% from three, and Steph goes 0 for 9, Steph can still hit ridiculous floaters. Wiggins can hit every shot he throws up, and they find a way to still end up winning. It's really fascinating how that's going to play out over the next few games. Ball is still in Boston's offense's court. See how it plays out on Wednesday or on Thursday. We'll hit you again on Friday with more content. Uh, any news and nuggets live from the game? I saw Amin Al Hassan from the Levitard show walking into the stadium, and I just felt so bad that I yelled at him. It was just a, a, a spur of the moment thing. I might, I mean, maybe I will get to see Amin Al Hassan again at some point, as long as we continue to support our dreams and leave downloads and reviews and five star ratings. I'll get to see Amin Al Hassan again inside stadiums with press passes, but. Like it just, I, I, I saw him, I yelled a mean, I love you on the Levitard show. He kind of gave a, oh, I appreciate it. You know, nice gesture there. I just, I just feel like a dick for doing that. That's my walk. That's my takeaway from the evening was walking by the Chase Center where the media entrance was and just yelling at Amin El Hassan as he was walking into the stadium and feeling like a dick afterwards for doing, I mean, pride for doing it because I love the Levitard show and he's part of this weird wagon of or he's part of this weird pirate ship and leaving espn to go work for sirius xm and metal arc and i love i mean al hassan i just feel like a dick for yelling at him because it's just a dick move to just be like hey yo i mean yeah uh just it was it was fun just feel like a dick it was fun to hang around the stadium too it was very very cool to see the chase center and all the finals people and warriors fans pulling up and 
Giants stadium erupting when they put the score up. It was very fun to to watch the finals game from the concourse of the San Francisco Giants stadium uh, for pretty much the entire game. I was just standing in the concourse because they had all the TVs on, and it was very fun. And that's a fun experience. Sometimes being outside of the the normal constructs of watching a game by myself on my computer and doing these podcasts and such are the ones that I remember the most. I remember going to a San Diego State football game during the 2018 World Series closing out. Um, I remember going to, uh, oh gosh, it was years and years ago during the uh, NBA Finals with um, the, or sorry, the Conference Finals with Milwaukee and Toronto. I was at dinner for Game Five and Kawhi beat Milwaukee, and I was so happy because I was like watching the game in the bathroom at the very end, and Kawhi, the last five minutes, was just smoking for Toronto. Some of my best memories are the ones that you break the construct in the monotony, so watching an NBA Finals game where the Warriors go up 3-2 in San Francisco, being on the premises, was just a, a nice foray into covering a basketball game and being around the atmosphere of a Game 5. I thought was very fun. I might do it again if there's a game seven, except this time I'll actually try and reserve tickets to the watch party and drive the two hours or hour and a half over to San Francisco for a hopeful game seven. And we can cover the game live from this rinky dink podcast shack that we have in this two-star motel a mile away from the Chase Center. So that's what I've got for tonight. Boots on the ground in San Francisco. Game analysis, real stories of me yelling at Amin Hassan as he was walking into the stadium and being boots on the ground at the Chase Center covering an NBA Finals game. For one night here in San Francisco, I got to dip my toe in the water of being the professional broadcaster that I very much am not. Eventually, we might get there. For the time being, though, let me be incredibly douchey by saying, live from San Francisco, California, this has been Kyle Ledbetter. Take it easy.